Hello, this is former JewishBoston.com podcast host Jesse Ulrich with a little bit of a warning. This episode, where we talk about the movie The Big Lebowski, is full of curse words, or foul language as some people might call it. So if those are things that offend you, I would suggest either not listening to this episode, or listening to it, getting real upset, writing us an email, and then not sending it. Enjoy! And welcome to the Jewish Boston Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Anzman. The Coen Brothers film The Big Lebowski was released in 1998, and its influence has grown each year. From festivals to pop art, it's become one of the great pop culture phenomenons of the past 20 years. It's hilarious, quotable, lovable, and most importantly for this podcast, it's delightfully laced with Jewish ideas and references. The 20th anniversary of the release of The Big Lebowski is coming up on March 6th, the day of the dude, making this the perfect time to look back on this movie and discuss what it has to say about Jewish identity. I'm joined today by three Big Big Lebowski fans, my colleague Ashley from Jewish Boston, my colleague Dan from Israel 360, and my partner in crime, Caleb. Welcome. Hey, I'm Ashley, and we are all here to tie the pod together, man. Um, I'm Dan, and I am completely out of my element. Uh, and I'm Caleb, and I can get you a toe, dude. You don't want to know. <laughs> there are ways. Awesome. I'm so glad that you guys are all here together with me today to discuss this amazing film. Um, each of you has seen this film many, many times. Tell me about your first time watching the film and what your initial reactions were. Um, yeah, I mean, the first time I saw The Big Lebowski, I was surprisingly young I would probably say below the age that the MPAA would have recommended uh, for a first viewing of that how many new words did you learn oh my god so many so many Just curious so many and uh, yeah I mean to me it was uh, kind of one of those cult classic movies uh, you know you go into it having heard a billion amazing things about how great it is and how much you're gonna love it and I think like a lot of those it didn't really click until subsequent watches uh, or watchings. And yeah, I mean, for me, the first time I'd heard it, um, I mean, I was raised reform. Uh, it was honestly the first time I'd heard a lot of Jewish terminology. I'd never actually heard Shabbos before then, only ever heard Shabbat. Um, I was totally unfamiliar with the Rambam. So while those things were neat niche, jo- niche jokes, it was new ground for me. So freshman in college was when I saw it, and it was actually my freshman comp class Instead of reading literature, we watched Coen Brothers films. I went to the wrong school. <laughs> well, I, I transferred out of that school after a year. But uh, it was just really interesting. Um, and I had taken a film theory class before that. Um, but it was just really cool. All of the Coen Brothers films we watched were pretty terrible, um, except for this one. And I loved it. And I wrote a paper interpreting his bowling dream sequence for the class. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I would, I'm trying to remember the first time I watched it. It was definitely in the theater, so it must have been in 1998 because I am a person of a certain age. And it's all a blur for reasons that I will not state here. I'm sure I experimented with marijuana in college or something, but I don't what? know. What? Yeah, I, I don't know, but anyway, I, I, don't even I know saw the is. movie and I remember it was just so wild. Like when you see a Coen Brothers movie, and I haven't seen all of them, 
but you don't know what's coming up next. You just have no idea from scene to scene what they're going to do. And, and, you know, one scene, they've, they've stuck a camera inside of a bowling ball. Another scene, there's this shirtless guy doing an interpretive dance in an empty theater. <laughs> in another scene, it's like a naked woman on a trampoline. It's just, you have no idea what's coming next. And that's what makes these movies so unbelievably fascinating. There are so few representations of converts to Judaism on film, and The Big Lebowski has this incredible character, Walter, played by John Goodman, and he's the dude's best friend. He's a Jew by choice. Walter is amazing in his rage and violence and the way he whips out a weapon to win arguments, but that's juxtaposed with the fact that he just as regularly quotes Jewish figures from the Rambam to Herzl to make his point. What's your favorite overtly Jewish thing Walter says in the film and why? Oh, man. I think that one of the most interesting things about Walter is just sort of how he finds elaborate ways to tie Jewish thought into stuff. So you can see him lecturing people about the Rambam. You can see him pulling Herzl quotes into bowling. The way he sort of is shoots, shoots off into tangents about these Jewish concepts to two people who don't seem totally interested in it is very interesting to me. As somebody who at one point was a, a religious Jew as a Baltic Jew, but kind of, I kind of recognized that sort of tendency as you're learning new Jewish concepts and new Jewish ideas. You want to apply them to the modern context. And to me, that was kind of an interesting uh, way of exploring modern orthodoxy, even though we, I don't really know what his denomination is. Favorite Overtly Jewish thing Walter says, probably. I don't roll on Shabbos. Hmm. You know, the classic, the classic line is a great one. And then there's another scene where the dude's calling him. He had just, the dude had just finished, uh, what did they say? Coitus with Maud. And, <laughs> and he has this brilliant idea that, oh my God, it was Bunny. She kidnapped herself. So he gets up, calls Walter. The phone is still ringing as the dude's like, come on, Walter, pick up, pick up. And before, like, he doesn't even leave a message. And then Walter picks up the phone, and he's like, hey, man, what do you want? And the dude's like, it's an emergency. And Walter's like, yeah, I know. It's Shabbos. I only pick up the phone. Like, I'm only supposed to pick up the phone if it's an emergency, right? So just, like, that complete contradiction is, is really funny because he makes such a big deal about being Shomer Shabbos. How come you don't roll on Saturday, Walter? I'm Shomer Shabbos. What's that, Walter? Yeah, and in the meantime, what do I tell Lebowski? Saturday, Donnie, is Shabbos, the Jewish day of rust. That means I don't work. I don't drive a car. I don't fucking ride in a car. I don't handle money. I don't turn on the oven. And I sure as shit don't fucking roll! Sheesh. Shomer Shabbos! Walter, how am I going to... Shomer fucking Shabbos. Oh, fuck. That's it. I'm out of here. Oh, come on, dude. So there's this one point where the very first time that the big Lebowski and Walter are attempting to swap the briefcases with the money and everything goes awry and Walter tries to roll out of the car and it's ridiculous and everything else. And he says this one line after and, you know, Lebowski say, what did you do? What happened? Whatever. And he says, it's time he, which means I guess it means it's a tree of life. It's Chaim He, dude, as the ex used to say. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? What the fuck are we going to tell Lebowski? Huh? Oh, him. Uh... I don't exactly know what was going on there, why he said that. Yep. But it was just, you know, when something terrible happened, 
He leaned on his Judaism. Yeah, yeah. He says it's Chaim Chi, as the ex used to say. What does that have to do with the price of? Tea I didn't in China? get it either. And he said another thing too. That same scene, I can't remember what it is, but he said two very Jewish things: one in Yiddish, and then this one in Hebrew. Mm. I am also obsessed with his references to being Shomer Shabbos and his reference to Erev Shabbos because this is terminology that's so real to anyone who has been Shomer Shabbos, as I myself was for a long time. We don't call it the Sabbath. Not only does he use the correct terminology, he spells it out for other people. He spells it out for Donnie. He says it's the Jewish day of rest. He's not allowed to work, drive a car, handle money, turn on the oven, and he's only allowed to break these rules for a matter of life and death. This is all very accurate. These things are really things that Jews are forbidden to do from sundown Friday to um, when three stars come out on Saturday night. So this is informative to folks who don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just I just think it's an interesting point that throughout the movie, Donnie's sort of shtick is that he's never really engaged in the conversation and constantly kind of wants to be clued in. And so Walter habitually admonishes him by saying, you know, the world is not starting to stop at your convenience, all of this stuff. Um, but the only time where he doesn't do that is when Donnie asks what Shabbos, because he's utterly unfamiliar. And Walter doesn't even lash out at him initially. He actually sits and gives him what I would say is one of the more concise one-sentence explanations of Shabbat, which I thought was really interesting um, to see that he, you know, this guy who's clearly very, uh, very angry and very argumentative, uh, taking the time to clarify something that was obviously very important to him. I am the walrus. Yeah. <laughs> so, Poor Donnie. Yeah. It's like Donnie was his last name. Shut the fuck up was his yeah. first Person. name. Correct. Yeah. Donnie. Although I did want to point something out real quick because there is another moment where Walter kind of holds Donnie's hand for a second, which is just really interesting because they're in the parking lot um, and this is when Donnie dies, mm. right? So, spoiler alert. Spoiler we, can't, alert. <laughs> we can't undo that, but spoiler alert. <laughs> so they leave the bowling alley. The dude's car is on fire. Yeah. And Donnie's kind of hanging back like, oh, my God, what's going on? And Walter is like, they're just nihilists. You don't have anything to worry about. They're right. Germans. They're not Nazis, but they're nihilists yeah. who don't yeah. believe in anything. And that's just. Oh, that's true. That's a great point. I never yeah. thought about that. So this whole movie is based on the concept of mistaken identity. Walter's Jewish identity has significant visibility in the film. Can we compare Walter's identity and how it's portrayed to other characters' identities in the movie? How does Walter stand out? What do you think the film is saying about identity? Caleb's thinking. Ashley's going to explain. I can go. So, yeah, well, first of all, there's the obvious, the big Lebowski. No, man, you're Lebowski. I'm the dude. Right? Like that whole thing. The entire movie starts out with this whole mix-up. Are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? Wait, wait, let me me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, That or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino. That sets the course for the series of events. But the Coen brothers are just so intentional with everything that they do. So the opening sequence after the stranger does his tumbleweed thing, you have the scene um, where the dude's getting cream, the Jackie Treehorn's porn thugs come in and try to drown him in the toilet. And then the very next scene is the opening credits scene. And in that scene, they give every single 
bowler their own kind of moment Mm. as the opening credits happen. So you get a close-up of one guy bowling like that chubby guy with the belly and then them doing like victory dances, right? And then it just goes down and every bowler goes in sequence. And you'll notice that we never see the dude bowling and we never see Walter bowling. And Walter's all about like the stop and start. Like, you know, Donnie says something um, stupid or like to Walter and then says something about bowling. And then Walter's like, wait, what was it about bowling? But something else that's really interesting is that the Jesus, who is like (laughs) their bowling nemesis, and he only appears in two scenes, yet the first time we see him is like this two-minute long extravagant close-ups of his hair and his beard and his nails, just everything. And yet Walter doesn't have that much screen time. And at the end of the movie, the last time we see him is when he's hugging the dude. That's it, not even in the last scene. Is that the last scene that he's in is when uh, he hugs the dude at uh, Donnie's ashes? That's yeah. it? I never even realized that's that. The, yeah, that's the last time we see him because they're, and also it's funny too because they're at the, they bury Donnie on a Saturday, which is Shabbat. I didn't realize And you're not supposed to have funerals on Shabbat, right? So, and then, they're like, let's go bowling. So they go bowling. The dude goes, buys a beer, or buys two beers, sees the stranger guy, and then goes back, and we just don't see Walter at all. But we know it's Shabbat because they, the Jesus is all like, oh, my God, we had to like reschedule bowling for Sunday. Like, what is this Shabbos crap? Like, blah, blah. Mm. So the stranger wishes them good luck in it's, their match tomorrow. So is- I watched the movie right before this and it was probably my sixth or seventh viewing and I don't know if I recognize this the last six times I watched it for reasons stated earlier but I felt like this movie is actually about Walter the whole movie is Walter Um, Walter is the only character who's actually developed you don't know anything about the dude he says dumb things he just stumbles through life and Mm -hmm. Donnie is just told to shut up he never actually gets a word in Mm -hmm. the other characters are just there to develop the the main characters but Walter has a backstory Walter talks about his history he talks about why he's angry he talks about his faith uh, talks a tiny bit about his family you know that's intentional like you're saying everything the Coen brothers do is intentional there's a reason why Walter's the only person who we're made to really care about the dude you're like "Eh, he's funny schlubby you know, likes to drink this and things happen to him. Walter is the one who takes action in life. Yeah, and Walter seems to sort of be at odds with some of his defining characteristics. I mean, it seems like one of the bigger points is that, you know, he's clearly not even close to being over his divorce. So the fact that he's taking care of his ex's dog, the fact that he is just, you know, eventually comes up towards the end of the movie when he talks about that he's Jewish and the dude sort of challenges the idea that he's Jewish and he says, I'm as Jewish as Tevia and uh, and talks about how you know from what 5,000 years of Jewish tradition from Sandy Koufax from Moses to Sandy Koufax and, and just you know how, how important it is to him but ultimately kind of has a moment of self-doubt where he's like you're right I am living in the past and then of course this is a Coen Brothers movie so they very quickly railroad that over to an action moment so um, Miriam you we talked about this before about the different Jewish characters in film mm-hmm. Is Walter the vengeful Jew? Walter is the vengeful Jew. Yes. Um, my theory is there's two main 
types of Jewish characters in film and television, one being the nebbishy New York complainy Jew, and one being the angry, vengeful Jew, like the bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards or Alfie Solomons and Peaky Blinders. I definitely feel that Walter fits into that category as well. Um, I oh, actually noticed, sure. yeah, I noted something that he said, which isn't about his own identity, but I think speaks to the way that Walter views identity. So at one point in the movie, uh, the dude uses a derogatory word for Asian Americans, and Walter corrects him. And he says, no, that's not okay. You have to say Asian American. And I thought that was very telling, because although they swear, they swear the whole movie and they're very crass and vulgar, he's still like, okay, but like, let's get real, use the appropriate terminology. Yeah. Because he's not only protective of his own identity, but he sees how he doesn't want to harm someone else's identity or be discriminatory towards them. Yeah, and that's tough because you can see the dude kind of lets that fall on deaf ears saying that this isn't one of those guys that built the railroads. Right. Like, no, this, but at the same time, um, it's... Oh my gosh, you built the railroads. That's, that's what right. he says. Um, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, um, part of how... Part of what defines people isn't necessarily what you like necessarily, but also what you don't like or what you're, you have aversion to. And I think that the way that Walter, you know, even though it's a real departure, characterizes the nihilists as Nazis, calls them fucking Nazis. Well, then, I mean, later on, he does say that in initially, but then he realizes he's like, no, they don't even have an ethos. He said it, right. at yeah. least Nazis had right. a, at had least a dog Nazis have, a, yeah. have an ethos. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to go back, Caleb, to something you said earlier. You said, you quoted that Walter quote that he's as Jewish as fucking Tevya. So do you think Walter captures anything about the way you feel about being Jewish? For me, like what I was kind of getting on to before, I mean, so this is just my own thing. Uh, but part of the Jewish identity, I think, you know, and for a lot of people is, is also... Um, how you view the rest of the world. And so that's where I was kind of coming at it with the adversarial thing. So that's sort of sometimes, you know, Walter's trying to, in his mind, oversimplify things. They're Germans. They're coming at me. They're Nazis. They're not really. Um, I think I touched upon this before, but the idea of just how passionate he is about Judaism, I think, was really interesting. You know, the idea of how he t tries to tie um, Jewish lessons into modern life and also sort of be a scholar and a source of wisdom for his friends. He's often offering advice whether people want it or not and maybe offering it a little more intensely than need be i wonder if um because he converted he felt the need to say i am as jewish as mm -hmm. whereas i i wouldn't feel it necessary unless someone challenged you know that i was raised reform and they're mm. orthodox and they say well you don't even know the laws basic laws about whatever which most of them don't say, a few of them do. But I, I do feel like, you know, Walter had this chip on his shoulder about many things, and I think one of those many chips on his shoulder was about the fact that he converted to Judaism. He wasn't born Jewish, and then he had to, he had to say this. You know, I think Walter had a lot of hang-ups about a lot of things, mm. you know, for reasons good, and, and, you know, that was irrelevant. That's irrelevant to a Jew how you became a Jew, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's just really interesting, though, because while this isn't how I feel about being Jewish, like, he says a lot of things about being Jewish, yet his actions contradict them, right? Just completely contradict his beliefs, right? They went to go see the dude's landlord in this weird... Interpretive dance? Yeah, he looks like a ivy-wrapped cherub or something, <laughs> right? And then 
Walter comes in and he's like, yeah, like little Larry, he lives by the In-N-Out burger. And they're so excited to go to In-N-Out. And then you see them in the car, like after they leave little Larry and, you know. And they're, he's eating a cheeseburger and he has cheese on his face. Yes, for our listeners, cheeseburgers are not kosher. And In-N-Out burgers probably aren't kosher they either. They are not kosher. Not certified. For sure. They are sure. not kosher. For sure. Yeah. Right? So there's this huge discrepancy. No what? No mishkiach in a, in a For our listeners, a mashkiach is somebody who observes the preparation of food and makes sure it's kosher. So yeah, I just feel like his actions and words are completely, um, just completely contradict each other. But for how, uh, does he capture anything about the way I feel about being Jewish? I, I don't really know. I mean, I identify more as a cultural Jew. So as a dude. As the dude. As the dude, yeah. The dude is a, is but is a the cultural. dude Jewish? No. 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 Like, he's not. But He's not. Yeah. So I I personally love how seriously Walter says he takes Judaism. You're quite right about the cheeseburger. Sure. I still love his intention and how invested he is and how proud he is of his heritage. Um, and that's exactly how I feel about it too. And also I'm also full of rage. So we really connect on that level. <laughs> so in the film, there are several sneaky references to Judaism. For example, the line, the dude abides, is actually from the Tanakh. That's the collection of holy scriptures of the Jews. Um, and the line goes, one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. And that's where that line is from. So the Tanakh was written in 1999? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> okay. um, another reference we've already kind of touched upon is the throwaway nod to the Rambam, Maimonides, who was a hugely important 13th century uh, Sephardic scholar. Did you guys spot any other random visual or verbal references to Jewish faith or peoplehood in the film that I may have missed? I loved how the stranger of all characters threw in a random Yiddish word. He said, um, it's darker than a black steer's tuchus on a moonless night. Only he pronounced it tukus. Yes. Tukus. It was an incorrect pronunciation, but he gets points for the attempt. I think it's like the intentionally stylized southern drawl thing like the same mm. way they'll say you know washed your car instead of washed your car mm-hmm. yeah so i mean we, yeah. we have walter who is you know talking about you know jewish practice and shabbat and everything else and we, we're expecting it from walter but when the stranger comes out and says it you just know that they were trying to sprinkle this throughout to to give us a little what do they call that easter egg yes <laughs> that's that right. sense <laughs> in this context uh, for the jewish audience yeah, and there's also um, when the nihilists are like, "You owe us money." The dude has four dollars in her wallet, in his wallet, but Donnie has eighteen dollars mm. in his Hi. wallet. Oh. Oh. And when there, so for um, listeners who don't know, eighteen is gamatria, so high, which is life, and gamatria is eighteen. It, it's an important number, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a very so, important number. Uh, each letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, they <clears throat> correspond to a number. So the word chai, that means life, corresponds to the number 18. So often you'll see um, if you're donating, donating charity, you'll do it in um, numbers of 18. So 18, 36, etc. Yeah, so, so Donnie has $18 in his wallet ready to hand over. When they're at the funeral home, the funeral director is like, this urn, or what did he say, this receptacle is $180. And then, <clears throat> which is their least expensive receptacle. Mm. And then, of course, Walter is like, we'll just go to Ralph's and get a coffee can, which if you want to go with the Jewish stereotype of saving money. And also at the funeral home, the wall behind their 
the wall behind this guy's desk is most of or of an incomplete verse from Psalm 103. I don't know if that's New Testament or Old Testament. No, the Psalms are actually uh, allegedly written by King David, so it's called Tehillim. We get all of them? Yeah, we we done did We get all the Psalms? Yeah. 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 They can't just read And anyone who says otherwise is plagiarizing. (laughs) Okay, great. That's ours then, Ashley. Love it. So it's praise for the Lord's mercies, and it's incomplete. The last line is missing. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And then the missing part is, and the place thereof shall know it no more. I'm just curious with that. Interesting. And, and the Cohen brothers did everything on purpose, you're saying. That, that was very intentional. Yeah, I mean, everything that they do is intentional. Oh, that's, like, totally their thing. I mean, before they shot Raising Arizona, they went and gone out to the desert in order to, like, figure out where every single shot will go. They are incredibly meticulous. There's actually a whole book about the spiritual world building of the Coen brothers called The Dude Abides, The Gospel According to the Coen Brothers. The author of the book suggests that the dude is actually a Lamed Vavnik. In Judaism, that means one of the 36 righteous souls who hold the fate of the rest of the world on their shoulders. But they don't know who they are, and the rest of the world doesn't know either. Other people have said that they view the dude as more of a shlemiel, which is a bumbling character that everything just sort of happens to in Jewish and Yiddish folk stories. Um, I felt the character of the stranger who narrates the movie was actually Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Hanavi. In the Jewish tradition, Eliyahu is the harbinger of the Messiah, and he also shows up to walk on earth with, with us during special times. During the Passover Seder, for example, we set a place for him and give him his own glass of wine. Although in The Big Lebowski, he drinks sarsaparilla, not wine. Um, one Jewish folk story is whenever a dog is happy, for example, for no discernible reason, it's because Elijah the prophet is nearby. Um, that's who I thought of. Did you guys notice any other paradigms of Jewish characters or figures as you watch this film? Um, I think that the dude does sort of tie into the uh, stereotype of the Shlemiel. I mean, he is this sort of hapless guy. Um, it's, 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 you know, kind of a, a character that's formed around being somewhat relatable, but also sort of a schlub, sort of ridiculous in ways. He's constantly got, you know, bits of his uh, white Russian drink stuck in his beard. Uh, he walks around in, in PJs most of the day. Uh, he smokes the same joint throughout the entire movie. Is that right? Yeah, literally. At the beginning I, of the I movie. I notice it gets really small. Oh, yeah. And then he continues to use it by uh, using, I think, a Tweezers, hair clip. Right? A hair clip that he actually then later uses to clip his own hair. So, gross. Uh, make your own judgments. I'm making one. I think that that's a deliberate choice to make him kind of schlubby, to make him kind of gross. I mean, um, it, it adds a layer of comedy to the fact that all of these ridiculous things are happening to him. I think that it's easier to laugh at him when there are things that are so either aesthetically or culturally weird about him that you have to go, eh, maybe he had that coming. Um, and so the, just the way he sort of bumbles through things, the way he's thrown from car to car, the way he's made this weird transitional part investigative, like journalist, part uh, detective, part uh, money middleman, like all of these different things, uh, you know, sort of 
collide into into him really pushing the narrative forward, which I think kind of ties into what you were talking about before. When it comes to the narrative of the movie, the dude really moves the plot forward, but as far as characters go, Walter does it's feel more movie. fleshed out. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, I, you know, the dude, he... Um when he does the right thing, it seems almost accidental. You know, mm-hmm. he'll have he'll have this moment of clarity where he'll say, "She kidnapped herself," and like based on very little, uh, he doesn't really use evidence or deduction to come up with what he comes up with. He mm-hmm. just sort of like has a, a momentary flash of something, and then that will drive him to the next action that he does. He doesn't seem to be prepared, knowledgeable, oh, yeah. strategic, any of these things. He's just living from moment to moment. Yeah, so Dan, I love that. He just goes from place to place doing his own thing until he just, you know, gets pushed in one direction. And when he gets to Jackie Treehorn, um, his crazy Burning Man backyard party, it's very desert-esque. It just, there was something very Moses about it post-leaving Egypt. Um, Jackie Treehorn is a purist. He is against the golden calf, if you will, of shitty porn that lacks substance yeah even the interior of his house looks like a desert so just the whole aesthetic of that scene reminded me of that that's a great point Mm -hmm. okay so our last question here is what's your favorite takeaway from the big lebowski and why is it special to you i will say that to me this film is hashtag jewish pride Um, my biggest takeaway from it is uh, I would say the complexity of people. Um, I think that that's sort of my big takeaway with, with Walter, just given that he is this angry, you know, uh, without question, PTSD-laden uh, uh, veteran with severe undiagnosed anger issues. Um, but the the way that he, like I was saying before, the way he ties Judaism in, the way that he refers to Judaism, I mean, it gives me sort of an air that he's trying to be a better man. And I think that that's a nice theme that sort of runs throughout a lot of uh, the most important facets of Judaism. So I was, I watched uh, The Big Lebowski the same day that I watched the Winter Olympics. And I'm going to pull this together. You're looking at me funny, but I'm going to pull this together. I am looking at him In, funny. <laughs> the dude, like I said, goes through life just kind of going from moment to moment without a plan or a strategy or anything else. And last night I watched a highlight from the Olympics of this, um, they call it air. It's skis where you go through a half pipe like you would on on a snowboard, and you're supposed to do all these tricks up in the air, or whatever. And there's this woman from Los Angeles who was actually competing for Hungary, and her entire trip down the half pipe, rather than do these spins and flips and everything else, she just went from one point to another, barely left the ground, and she finished and scored a zero. And she didn't really understand why she scored a zero. You know, she said, "Well, I didn't fall." And I, I really, I felt like the dude in many ways is all of us and that he, he didn't set out to be nothing. He didn't set out to be on this whole path that he was taken on that started with his head in the toilet in the first scene of the movie. He's getting beaten up by people for reasons he doesn't understand and he lost his rug and he's, you know, spends the time trying, really the entire movie is this guy trying to get his stupid rug cleaned or whatever, someone to be held responsible for his rug. Nothing happened to him, really. Just this, this random series of events. And like this, this skier, the, the two of them were sort of exemplifying the idea of being average. And I could relate. 
<laughs> Dad, you're not average. He's well, I, I can relate to the idea you're above that average. that he was life was taking him on this ride. He wasn't driving. So to me that was you know, and then in the meantime, there are other characters who do these amazing dramatic things. And Walter is this very strong, vengeful, troubled person. Lebowski, the dude is not. He's um, he's content with who he is and what he's doing. He's just, he just doesn't, you know, if you look at him, you say, why don't you say more? Why don't you do more? Why don't you just, I don't know, act in the scene, like do this thing. He won't do it. He won't do it for you. He's, he's unsatisfying, but he's, he's happy with who he is. Yeah, and bouncing or going off of that to tie it together. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the dude being content with who he is. I think the biggest takeaway or message from this movie goes back to this theme of identity and just being comfortable and content with who you are. I mean, Walter, he's, you know, he's so conflicted and has all this inner turmoil and relationship struggles. So he's trying to just hold on to what he you know, like that, what, what matters to him, like bowling and his Jewish faith. Um, and yeah, so to me, the movie is just all about holding on to your own identity. Well, I want to thank you all for joining me here today and giving me like your opinions, man. Um, thank you so much. And here's to another 20 years of Big Lebowski. Let's do this again. In, let's uh, do this again in, in 20 years. 2038. <laughs> we abide. F it, let's go rolling. <laughs> no, let's We're do officially this. recording, Jesse. <clears throat> nice to see you again. Hey, Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Love you, Jesse. We love you. We miss you. Come back. What's going on? Okay, that's Caleb. He's here too. <laughs>